Hey, I'm Greg Johnson. I'm the lead pastor here at Restoration Churchwood Forest. We want to welcome you to our podcast today. Our mission at Restoration is to empower people to become world changers by releasing them into their full potential in the kingdom of God. So that happens in a lot of ways, but on Sunday mornings, we gather together, we worship passionately, and then we open the word of God and we explore the application and the truth of how God's word can be applied to our lives. And so today, I hope that you enjoy this message from God's word. Hey, we don't want this in any way to be a replacement for church. Let it be a supplement for you. But if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us any week at 8 o'clock, 945, and 1130. We hope you enjoy the message. Welcome to Restoration. And so, man, God is up to something. And I think about uh, in our church, when we started Restoration, Yvonne and I knew that we wanted to be uh, parents to the fatherless. And we've been involved with Love Fosters Hope for more than 20 years. And, and we knew that this would be at the heart. And so most of our partner ministries are engaged in foster care and adoption in some way. We've got uh, at least 40 families who have been directly engaged uh, with foster care and adoption. I think about the Mocks, the McKenzie's, the Burtons, the Seagulls, the Hogan's, the Cadillacs, uh, the Jordans, Halls, Francis's, Middlebrooks, Hammonds, Lambards, Wagners, Walkers, Rizzo, Paris's, the Beasley's, the Williams, the Hunts, the Agnews, scores of others. Uh, if I didn't uh, name you, just know that, that, that I'm thinking of you in spirit right now, that there are so many that have been directly involved. And we have adopted kids all over the church. And we love the idea that we can make a difference, that we can step in and we can be a village for those who are in desperate need. At the end of every service in our benediction, we say we will be the hands and feet of Jesus in a broken world. Just know that when I say that, this is what I think about. The world is broken. The world is full of people in desperate need. What only God can provide? Love, where there is no love. What's the second one? Peace, peace where there is no peace. Y'all wandered into that. Hope, where there is no hurt. Hope, yeah. Hope, where there is no hurt. Nope. Hope, where there is no hope. We need to memorize that bad boy, don't we? <laughs> but here's the point. We say it at the end of every service that we will be the hands and feet of Jesus in a broken world, that we will be love, that we will be peace, that we will be hope, and that we will expect extraordinary God activity at all times. Yes. So is it just gonna be talk? No, we're called to something greater and each of us has a part. So there's this classic verse um, that uh, is, is used to talk about the biblical mandate to care for the widow and orphan. James 1.27 says, religion that, our, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after or orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. True religion is this. So what is he saying? He's saying, hey, listen, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it gets real. Talk is cheap. True religion is this. Care for the widow and orphan. It's a biblical mandate. 
And so what he's saying here is the true test of your spirituality is not just raising your hands and voices in song. That's awesome. But that's not the truest test of spirituality. It's not church attendance. So if you're here today and you checked a box, woo, that's great. But it's not the truest form, the purest form of religion. It's not even your daily time with the Lord. Those things are important. All of those things are important, but those are not the only thing. What he's saying here is this is the practical outflow of service that comes from a heart that is positioned in Jesus and it's towards standing for the oppressed and the defenseless. So for a lot of us, we've just gotten the whole religion thing mixed up, haven't we? In short, we've made religion about us. When in reality, it's about people that are outside this room. Any religiousness that does not drive you toward standing for the broken, giving voice to the voiceless is basically worthless. Ouch. Um, I say this a lot. Any worship in here that does not transform how you live out there is worthless. So it doesn't matter how loud you sing in here. It doesn't matter uh, what is going on in this room. If it is not lived out out there, then what are we really doing? In fact, it's the essence of the gospel, isn't it? That Jesus came for the oppressed, for the broken, for the poor. So there's a passage in Isaiah 58 that underscores this idea. And I wanna walk us through it this morning. Isaiah chapter 58, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't, uh, the scripture will come up on the screen in just a moment. But the first 10 verses, I think really underscore what James was saying in James 1:27. Now, when you think about uh, the children of Israel, we've been in Genesis for the last six months and we've been watching how once sin entered the world, uh, it's just been a broken existence ever since. And we see specifically God's chosen people, the, the carriers of the covenant, the carriers of the blessing, they're just broken people that God has used in spite of themselves. And, and it continues to be paid forward over and over and over. And so we see Isaiah, man, who doesn't love a good Old Testament prophet beating down on him? And so uh, uh, you may not hear this as encouraging, but man, I wanna encourage you today. Um, the Old Testament speaks as loudly as the New Testament. And, and when God was speaking to the children of Israel, the children of Israel are actually you and me. And we can look at their lives and we can see so many parallels as we have through the book of Genesis. But let's start with uh, verse one of chapter 58. It says, shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. So God's telling Isaiah to shout it from the rooftops. He said, raise your voice like a trumpet. Can you imagine right now if someone stood up and just started blaring a trumpet? 
Parenthetically, Celebration Church, I've been there one time. Uh, it was in the early 2000s. It was right after Christmas. I was the worship pastor at Woods Edge. I took the morning off and I went to Celebration and uh, uh, they were meeting in uh, Woodlands High School at the time in the theater. And I walked up and I was kind of standing there. There were probably a hundred people in the room or so. And there's a dude standing in front of me. Uh, he walked in with me and stood on the row in front of me and he was carrying an instrument uh, case. And when as he's walking in, I'm like, hey, bro, you're late. The band's already started. But what I realized was he wasn't going to let that stop him. And so uh, as they're finishing the first song, he opens up the case and he pulls out a trumpet. And now I'm just like, oh, my gosh. This is about to get good. So they broke it down and they're kind of doing some prophetic worship, just kind of stand there singing. All of a sudden, dude raises that trumpet and just starts blaring in the wrong key. But he didn't let that stop him. He just kind of kept going. By the way, are you in the house today? If that's you? Okay, all right. So he's just going at it. And he finally... And he finally finds that sweet spot and he's going and I'm watching the people on stage and they are freaking out and they're like, hey, let's get going, let's get going. So they start the next song and he's just working those valves, ready to get back going again. And uh, their security guy comes up and he's staring at me as he's walking up and I'm like, dude, that wasn't me, what are you doing? <laughs> Stops and the, and the guy's raising it again and he slaps his hand down and says, put it away. Yes, sir. And I started laughing and left. I couldn't stay. Um, <laughs> really, that has nothing to do with this passage except for trumpets are loud, y'all. That was, that was the most amazing moment in any worship service ever, okay? So, but, but here's what God's saying. He's like, hey, let your voice be heard, Isaiah. What I have to say needs to take priority over anything else that you're thinking, anything else that you've said. I want this to be heard. And who's he speaking to? He's saying, tell my people they've missed it. And who does he mention? Jacob. We've been talking about Jacob a lot over the last couple of months. And Jacob was about as broke as they came. He was a broken dude. He was a liar and a deceiver. And that, that got passed down for generations to this group of people that were about to go into exile. He says, tell my people they missed it. Then he kind of shifts gears. Verse two, for day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager to come near them. Well, they sound pretty stellar to me. In fact, it made me think of Revelation 2. Do you remember Jesus when he's talking to the church at Ephesus? He says, man, I, I know your deeds. You do great stuff. You're serving the needy. In fact, you, 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 don't, you don't support what's false. You're great people. But then what does he say? One thing I have against you, you've lost your first love. And here he's saying about the people of Israel, man, they seem awesome. Day after day, they seek me out. That doesn't seem like a bad thing, right? Day after day, they're seeking. They're eager to know my ways. It says they're living as if they've not forsaken my commands. And he said they want justice. But who do they want justice for? Themselves. And they seem eager for the nearness of God. So I want you to think about your own life. 
Day after day, they seek me out. For some of you, if I asked for a show of hands and I would say, hey, how many of you have some kind of devotional life? Which could be as little as you opening up a daily devotional that comes to your email and you read it and you give a little shout out to the GOD and go about your day. Or you could be spending, you know, an hour, two hours with the Lord every morning immersed in his word, somewhere in between. If I said, how many of you do, do that? Most of you in the room would probably raise your hand. If for nothing else, just to save face, right? So, so you think day after day they seek me out. They're eager to know my ways. That, there's, there's an inner hunger to know, to know, to understand. Then he said they want justice. But again, they want justice for themselves. So ask yourself the question of all the prayers you pray, how many of them are self-motivated? So many times we want justice, but what we really want is vindication for us, right? Lord, vanquish my enemies. I mean, just keeping it real with y'all, since early April through the end of September, I went through a season where that was kind of my prayer life. I, I was just living as a victim. Like looking at the optics and looking at what's going on at restoration and man, in, in late July, we had like 150 people sitting in the lobby every week at 945 and that was a pretty cool thing. And I'm looking at all of the people and all the things and on the surface, it just seemed like everything was moving in this really, really cool direction. And yet I was being really just kind of slowly, the slow drip campaign of, of people saying things about me and saying things to me. And, and instead of saying, Lord, I'm focused on you, I begin to live as a victim. And I'm not even gonna tell you some of the prayers that I prayed because I'm embarrassed that I'm like, hey, you can take that brother out, right? I didn't pray that. I thought it, I didn't pray it because I was afraid that God would answer my prayer, right? So I, but, but, but you think about it. I mean, for those of you in the room that would say, man, I pray regularly, how often are your prayers about you and your situation? How often is the justice that we seek justice for us? So man, it's a great list. Like when you go to brunch or lunch today, if my name comes up, I hope, I hope my list looks something like that. When y'all think, man, that Greg, man, he, day after day, I think he seeks him out. He's eager to know his ways. He wants justice. Seems eager for the nearness of God. Wouldn't we all want to be, that to be said about us? And so if we ended in verse two, we're like, well, God, what's your problem, right? Seems like that they're pretty good people. But what's missing from the list? Verse three, why have we fasted, they say, and even, and you've not even seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? And God says, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. So let's just take the word fasting and let's install the word worship there, okay? Because when we think about uh, this word fasting and we will do a 21-day fast at the beginning of the year, um, that is physically abstaining from food. And in this culture, in Jewish culture, it was expected that you fast regularly. In fact, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter six, remember there were three things that he assumed. He said, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. 
His assumption was that you do those three things as a good Jew. In Jewish culture, that's what you did. And so he's saying to them, hey, listen, I know that, that you worship me through fasting, that you do it as an act of your will. But look at what he says there in verse three. Why have we fasted and you've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? What is that giving you a picture of? Yeah, what's in it for me? God, I'm doing this stuff for you. When are you going to answer my cry? See, that's where we just miss the essence of the gospel. <laughs> so so the, the great American Jesus version of the gospel is, hey, you're headed for hell. Who wants to go to hell? Anybody? Yeah, nobody's raising their hand, right? Because it's hot and it's just cooled off here. This is a good thing. <laughs> right? So, but, but, but at the end of the day, man, the American gospel in the 20th century was really this formula that was devised to scare the hell out of you, right? Who wants to go to hell? Nobody. Pray this prayer. You pray this prayer so that the, you, Jesus becomes your personal Lord and Savior. Have you ever heard that phrase? Not in the Bible. Your personal Lord and Savior so that one day you get to go to heaven when you die. Do you hear all the you's in there? You, 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 you. See, the American gospel is all about you. And the American Jesus comes in to save you from hell, to give you a hope and a future in heaven one day when you die. Here's the problem with that. There's so much more to the gospel. Because here's the number one aspect of the gospel. It's not about you. John 3, 16, for God so loved yeah, don't insert your name there, as many preachers would have you do. God so loved the world. You are a part of the world, but you are not the world in and of itself. Some of you 10 to 18-year-olds right now are just self-destructing because your parents have told you you're the world. You're not. You're a part of the world, but you are not the world in and of itself. And Jesus died for you, but he really died for the world. Yes. And when you say yes to Jesus, now you get to be a part of his plan to change the world. Yes. And so all of their posturing, they're saying, hey, what's in it for me? And then he goes on and says, yeah, your day of fasting, fasting is you doing whatever you please. You fast, but you just kind of keep on trucking in your own way. Fasting means nothing to you. Your worship actually means nothing to you. They praise me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He's like, I'm looking at the product of your life. Your worship is all about you. So he says, your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed? For lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? He said, hey, the result of your fasting is religious infighting. Y'all are just straight up throat punching each other. 
and you can only reserve one day for me? I mean, just keeping it real, if you brought a Bible today, for some of you, it's the only time you'll crack your Bible open all week, right? That this is your service to get you through the week. Have you ever said that? And this is my feel good to get me through the week. What if there's more? That's, that's what God's saying. He's like, hey, your worship means nothing because you're still fighting against each other. It's all about you. And you can only reserve one day for me, one moment for me. Okay, so pause. This is pretty tough stuff here, right? If I just take a deep breath, it's gonna be okay. Um, or maybe not, it may not be okay. Um, but this is not God just trying to make them feel bad about themselves. This is him on repeat for hundreds of years calling his people back to him. Saying, listen, I love you. I've got great plans for you. I wanna change the world and I want you to be a part of it. And over and over and over again, they chose a lesser vision, a lesser passion. Does that sound like you today? Have you given yourself over to a lesser calling, to a lesser God that accommodates your lifestyle? This was the indictment that he had on the Jewish people. And what he's saying here is, listen, I'm really not interested in your religious activity. I want your heart. So God's not interested in your spiritual life. (gasps) What? God's not interested in your spiritual life. He's interested in your life. He didn't want a piece of the pie. He wants it all. And for a lot of us, the reason that we are failing in this thing that we call the spiritual life is because it's just a pie piece. And we think, okay, I'm giving, I'm giving my, my religious sector its due time. And now I'm going to give my career, my family, and all the other pie pieces associated. When in reality, he wants it all. He wants it all. He's interested in your life. Okay, so look at verse six and seven. Is this, is this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loosen the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry, provide the poor wanderer with shelter? And when you see the naked, to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Sounds a lot like James 127, doesn't it? When he says, is this not what I've called you to? I've called you to loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, set the oppressed free, break every yoke, share with those in need, clothe the naked. Reconcile with your own flesh and blood. Yeah. How are you doing? When we say a biblical mandate from God, if this is a biblical mandate from him, if he's saying this is what true worship is, how are you doing? In fact, if you look over in uh, Zechariah chapter seven, 
Verses nine and 10, another, this is just another prophet that says this. This is what the Lord Almighty said, administer true justice, show compassion and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. This is all throughout the Old Testament. This idea of serving the poor, serving the oppressed, fathering the fatherless. So the practical outflow of worship is the product of your life, okay? So uh, your, your life tells the story. Your actions, activities, that's all the outward, external product of what's going on on the inside. So if you are living from Jesus, if you have received everything that he is giving you on a daily basis, you're sitting before him and allowing him to fill you up, you can't help but overflow into the world around you. However, if you're just uh, living your own plan, your own purpose and slapping the name Christianity on it, but you're still as, as angry and judgmental and impatient and frustrated, what do people see when they look at you and you say, I follow Jesus? That's a convicting thought, right? He's saying, listen, there has to be more. And if it doesn't include the poor, the widow, the fatherless, the ones who can't stand for themselves, then you've misunderstood the gospel. If that's not a regular rhythm, a regular part of you living out God's purposes in your life, then you've misunderstood the gospel. It's gotta be part of it. For some of you, it's all of it. But for all of us, it's gotta be part of it. No longer you, but Christ living in you. So let me double down on that. In Luke 4, 18, in Luke chapter four, Jesus is in Nazareth his hometown, and he walks into the synagogue and he walks over and he scrolls through the scrolls and he grabs uh, the Isaiah and he goes to Isaiah 61. In Luke 4, 18 and 19, he quotes it. And he, he just opens it up and he reads this. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolls up the scroll and he says, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. And he goes and he sits down. That is a boss move right there. I mean, he's just saying it so clearly. This is my purpose. I came for the poor. I came for the oppressed. I came to bring freedom for the captives. I came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So let me, let me connect some dots. If you have said yes to Jesus, what that means is that the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of the living God is now living in you, which means that his mission has now become your mission. Do you, do you get that? So for a lot of us, we pray a prayer and then we manage our sin and we stay on our own mission and just keep asking God to bless it. And we're living unfulfilled lives and we're frustrated. 
Here's the point. When you receive Jesus, you're receiving the mission of Jesus. And this is the mission of Jesus. Out of his words, he could have chosen to quote any scripture that day in that synagogue. But right there in his own hometown, he walked out and he went public and said, this is who I am. This is why I'm here. Drop the mic, sit down. You, as a follower of Jesus, that's what you were made for. You were made for carrying out the mission of Jesus. Christian, it means little Christs. We're all little Jesus people. (laughs) Yeah, that really applies to me, right? I'm a little Jesus person. Yeah, yeah, who's my favorite Bible character? Zacchaeus. Why? Because he was a wee little man. That's right. Say it to my face. All right. (laughs) Submission of Jesus, y'all. And then Jesus says in Matthew 25, 40, he's talking about the separation of the sheep and the goats. And he says, hey, listen, on that day, God's gonna say, the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus is like every time you look in the eyes of the oppressed, every time you see uh, someone that is fatherless, every time you see the poor, every time you see the needy, every time you look in their eyes, every time you do something for them, you're doing it for me. Why? Because that's my mission. If that's my mission, it's your mission. And he goes on to say, if you do look in their eyes and walk the, the other way, it ain't good. You can read about that later. Okay, verse eight. So what is the result of this kind of life? Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer you. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. Come on, y'all. First thing he says, when you live this life of worship, when you are living out the biblical mandate, when you're living the mission of Jesus, he said you're light to the world. So God says that in the Old Testament. Jesus says it in Matthew chapter five. You're the light of the world. Then he says, therefore, verse 16 of chapter five of Matthew, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father who is in heaven. That's our mandate, your light. When you are living the purposes of Jesus in the world, he illuminates your life and you are radioactive. People look at you and you glow with the purposes of Christ. But not just that, what else did he say? He said, you will be healed. Your healing will quickly appear For some of you, you have been suffering with something, a physical or emotional healing. And he says right here, when you live out my purposes, you're gonna be healed. That healing could come to you because you are no longer living a life for you, but for another. Those aren't my words. I'm not making you any promise. God is. Says your healing comes quickly. Then I love this. He says, 
Your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. He's got you. He goes before you and he is behind you. He is your protector. He provides the way so that you can walk in the righteousness of what he's called you to and he's got your back. He is your rear guard. How cool is that? For a lot of us, we have uh, stepped so far outside of the mission that God has placed on our lives and you're out there just roaming around, you got no protection. And you're getting hit with friendly fire. You're getting hit with fire from the enemy because you are not living in the divine design that God has called you to. And he says right here, man, when you're in me, I'm preparing a path in front of you and I got your back. Could there be anything better than that? To know that you are hemmed in by God? When you're living on purpose, that's what happens. But keep looking. It says, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So name and claimant theology grabs onto that. It says, oh, hey, you want a Mercedes? Just if that's the desire of your heart, pray it. It'll come to fruition. And here's the thing. We're great at the second part of it. We got desires, right? I want God to give me the desire of my heart. Here's the truth of the matter. Delight yourself in the Lord. And here's the point, when you're delighting yourself in the Lord, he changes your desires and affections to line up with the things that are on his heart. It's this whole idea, when you are living in the divine mission of Jesus, it gets real easy. You can just ask for it and he gives it to you because they're actually the things that are on his heart. The truth is for a lot of us, we spend too much time praying self-motivated prayers and living self-motivated lives. And God's saying, hey, listen, the way that I am advocating is a way towards selflessness. It's not about you. But hey, I want you to join me because we got some world changing to do. Okay, verse 10, this is where we land. And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. Spend yourselves. I love that phrase. Spend yourselves. What does that mean to spend yourself? Well, I think every single one of us have three assets that we bring to the kingdom of God. You have your time, you have your talent, and you have your treasures. So those are the three things that every single one of us, uh, to a person, we bring those three assets into the kingdom of God. My time, my talent, and my treasures. So think of those. Those are the currency that you have in the kingdom of God. And so number one, your time, your time. Your time is currency that we all have, right? And I would say that that margin is probably a challenge for most people in the room. 
Do you ever feel like that you've got more things to do than you have hours in the day? And so the thought of, well, man, there are things I'd love to get to, but I just don't have time. Have you ever said that? I just don't have time. I'd love to do that, but man, when would I have time to do that? I say that to Yvonne all the time. She has a list for me. When would I have time to do that? And then she reminds me, Greg, you always have time for the things that are important to you. For instance, at 3.25 today, I'll be sitting in front of a TV watching Cowboys Packers. I promise you that whatever's going on at 324, it will suspend because at 325, I'm gonna be sitting there. I will not miss one down of that game. And I say that a little convicted. I mean, I'm still gonna watch it, all of it. But, but, <laughs> but, but you think about it. There's nothing that's gonna keep me from that today. In fact, if you called me with a crisis at 324, I would say, hey, I'll call you back at seven. Or if they lose tomorrow afternoon sometime, right? But here's the point. I make time for the things that are important to me. And you make time for the things that are important to you too. And if you're honest with yourself, there are things that take up your time that you're passionate about, and that's great. Here's the question. If this is a mandate, if we are called to defend those who can't defend themselves, if we are called to serve the poor, if we are, if we are called into that space, because that is the biblical mandate, because that is the way that Jesus has called us to live because Jesus is in us, do you have time? I'm not here to guilt you. I just wanna shine a light for just a minute on our lives and let's just have an honest moment. We make time for what's important. And here's the truth of the matter. Every second you have has been given to you on loan from God to be stewarded for his purposes. Just let that sink in. Number two, your talent. So maybe you need to begin to invest your giftedness in getting involved in some way, fostering, adoption, mentoring. You know, we're not all called to foster and adopt, but we're all called to do something. And how has God gifted you and how can you leverage it for kingdom purposes? Your gift could be relational. So it might be very natural for you to invest in the life of the child. Maybe you're a great mom and dad and God places on your heart, hey, I have the gift of parenting and I need to pay that forward and I need to take a child into my home. But maybe your gift's administrative. Maybe you're just a behind the scenes person and, and maybe some of these ministries out here are desperate for someone to come make sense out of what they're doing. Maybe you have the gift of hospitality and your opportunity is to use that natural gift of hosting and being invitational to invite people into space. I don't know every gift in the room, but I know that we all have one. And God wants to leverage your talent for the kingdom. And then your treasure. God blesses a generous heart. And again, the money you have, you are not a wealth creator. God has given you everything that he's given you. John 1, 17, or uh, James 1, 17. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Whatever you have has been given to you on loan. for you to steward it for his glory and for his purposes. 
He's inviting you into this space. Some of you have the financial means to be a catalyst for current and future ministry. Know this, we've got 12 ministries on the wall and a couple of others that we financially support as a church. And so every dollar you give is supporting 13, 14, 15 ministries. And so it matters. But for some of you, you have some extra means. And God's gonna move on your heart today as you walk around the lobby and you're gonna be called to give more to a specific ministry today. And we wanna cheer you on in that. John Wesley said this, do you not know that God entrusted you with all that money, all above what buys necessities for your family, to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, help the stranger, the widow, the fatherless, and indeed as far as it will go to relieve the wants of all mankind. How can you, how dare you defraud the Lord by applying it to any other purpose? So you got three assets. And this is the currency of the kingdom. Your time, your talent, your treasure. How are you leveraging those three things for kingdom purposes? In the first service this morning as we were worshiping, um, Josh Agnew on first Wednesday uh, shared their adoption story and it was so incredibly moving and I was standing over there and I just felt like that God uh, said, man, you need to have Josh share his story. And so uh, Josh, would you just share quickly with us your journey into adoption? Yeah, so um, I'll get it. October 10th, 2018. October 10th, 2018, we were leaving a hospital. Uh, seven years after God gave my wife a dream, um, a full year of walking through the adoption process of signing paperwork and getting all that stuff done and saying yes to profiles and being told no and going back and forth on whether or not we were gonna be able to do this. Um, three months of walking with a birth mom, four days of holding a baby girl in our arms in the hospital. During that time, our community came to our house and completely transformed our nursery from what was a boy's room to a girl's room. On October 10th, we walked out of that hospital empty-handed. We walked out because the birth mom had chose to parent. And in the adoption and foster care world, as often as the parents want to parent, that is the best place for that child to be in most cases. And so we just said, okay, God, this is yours. But what we quickly came to find out was that we were actually being frauded. Us and three other birth parents were being frauded by this, by this woman. And, and I was angry. Um, I wanted to quit. And during that process, we shared, during the whole time, we would share with our kids, hey, we're saying yes to this potential child. Will we, can you pray with us for this child? And so our kids were in this whole process. They were aware of every, every birth mom and, and profile that we said yes to, to potentially adopt that child. The kids were right along with us, all three boys, the whole time. And so when we came home empty-handed, our children struggled with that too. They were angry too. They were frustrated too. And then one afternoon, my son... He was having a real hard day. And he finally, I finally calmed him down. I got in, 
I got him to lay down and said, okay, dude, what is happening? What is going on? Why are you so frustrated? He said, hey, dad, you know that baby girl that you were holding in the hospital, Bella, how come we couldn't say goodbye to her? I said, I don't know, son. But all I know is God wants her to be with his mom, her with her mom. And in childlike faith, the next second he said, well, when's the next Bella gonna come? Even though we had chosen the name Bella, my son saw that redemption is a choice. That you can redeem that name. You can redeem this situation. And his childlike faith, we pursued. We said, okay, we're not gonna give up. I'm not gonna quit. If my son's in, my eight-year-old son is in, I'm in. And so we went back to the process and we were saying yes and being told no. And then one day we get a phone call from an agent and said, hey, birth mom has chosen you, but she's concerned you have three boys. She's worried because she's due in seven days that you won't have anything ready for a baby girl. And I said, you're not gonna believe this. Because when we left the hospital that day, we kind of closed that nursery door room almost in mourning that we had lost a child. And I went into that room and I took pictures of Bella's name above the crib the pink sheets that were already laid out for her, the clothes that were ready. And I sent them to that agent and she said the birth mom knew it. She said, mom has chosen you. Seven days later, Arabella was born. Three days after that, we were given the, we were given parental rights and she came home with us. You know, during that entire process, I thought we were going to change this girl's life. Like how good of me to be able to go and change this girl's life. She changed ours. She changed ours. She changed my love. She showed me a love that I didn't know I could have. And she showed me that redemption is a choice. Just like when Jesus chose to redeem me in my messiness, in the ugliness of my life, we got to choose redemption for her. And so maybe your heart is burning today. Maybe you're feeling that call and you recognize that Jesus chose to redeem you and he's now calling you into something else, whether it's your time, your talent, your treasure, to care for those that are less fortunate for the orphan, for the widow. And so maybe you need to answer that call today. Hey, I'm called to adopt, I'm called to foster, and I need to find out what that is now. I need to go. And there's so many people out there that can help you with that. But there's also some of you that aren't called to do that, just like Greg was talking about, your talents and your treasures. And when we were going through that process, we had friends that were alongside us. We had lawyers that were walking with us. We had people that were caring for us that, and praying for us that we didn't even know. They went to this church and we were going to a different church, but they were praying for us. And so sometimes in some places, your call is just to come alongside those that are walking and foster into adoption. And so that's you today. That's our church. That's what we're called to do. Your call is to be peace, love, and hope where there is none. Because redemption is a choice.
So uh, Bill Hybels said this one day, a conference, he just looked into the, the group of people, thousands of people. And he said, you've got one life to live. Which life are you waiting for? I wanna pass that on to you today. You got one life to live. Which one are you waiting for? Jesus has an assignment. He's already done all the heavy lifting. If you've already received him, your marching orders are clear. Walk in obedience.